The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Um, all right, we're going to jump in the Word. <laughs> Let's... Uh, Take a second, we're going to pray and jump into this. I'm just praying that, moms, that you'll be blessed today. I want you to listen as we go through this word. And I'm going to be talking about a lot of different kinds of moms. And I just really believe that God wants you to hear in this word that he sees you. And that what you do matters. And that he wants to strengthen you through his word and encourage you. And so... um, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that the moms would receive it. God, whatever is going on in their life, Lord, whatever is going on in their, uh, Lord, parenting, in their marriage, in their personal life, Lord, anything that's going on, God, Lord, we pray, Father, that in the midst of all of it, Lord, their work, finances, Lord, anything, God, their health, Lord, that in the midst of everything, God, that they would hear, Lord, your word of encouragement today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, moms, the title of this is Moms, Jesus Loves You Bigger Than You Think, because we've been talking about Jesus. Remember that from last week? We're going to continue talking about that. But is your Jesus a little tiny one that fits in your pocket, kind of a moldable, foldable little Jesus, uh, just one that you bring out on occasion, or is he really the, the Lord of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, and all of the things that the Bible talks about? Because if that's who he is, then it changes everything about how we perceive our life that that great creator of heaven and earth has actually designed us, loved us, and cared for us, and that he actually designed motherhood. He's the one that brought that into existence, and it's a a big part of his heart. We're going to go through a bunch of moms. We're going to start with Eve, everybody's favorite mom. Are you a mom that's blown it? Raise your hand. No, don't. Don't do it. Um, Kids, has your mom blown it? Raise your hand. Okay, look, moms, if you ever felt like you blew it as a mom, just be glad you're not Eve. Okay, because Eve blew it. Uh, so did Adam, although he tried to scapegoat his wife. Us modern men don't do that. Um, but there is, a, in the past, um, some men would try to scapegoat their wives as a problem, but we take responsibility for modern men. But if you ever felt like Eve, do you know what? Don't worry. Because even for Eve, who had blown it, God actually promised, um, and I'm not going to pull the verse up on this one, but it's in... Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, God promises that he will send a savior and that the savior will crush the enemy, the serpent underneath his foot. And so you might think, man, I've screwed up and now my kids are paying the price. Now my kids are going to have to suffer and deal with this. And guess what? Even in the midst of whatever mistakes you might make as a mom, God has your back and God will send his savior to help your kids and to help you. So it's not all on you. God loves him too. Actually, pick up the slide. Do your best and keep trying to uh, live it out. And God is going to actually pick up the slack and help you. You don't have to carry all that pressure. Another one is in Exodus chapter 2. Um, and this is a lady with a, just a wonderfully beautiful name, which you're supposed to say with a lot of phlegm, uh, which I won't do. Uh, but it's uh, Yochabed. But you would actually say that with much more. My wife's like, don't do it. I won't. Uh, but uh, she actually gave up her child. Um, some of you moms in here, you might, I, I don't know, I'm not going to do hand raising on all these, but maybe you've had to give up a child. 
Uh, there are some that have done that. We adopted a beautiful little girl that's four now whose mom needed to give her up uh, for various reasons. And that happens. Uh, maybe you've been through that. You've been through a struggle and you've been, you had something going on. You gave up a kid and you maybe you don't even know them. You still mothered them. You still brought them into the world. Maybe that sticks with you and maybe that, that haunts you or hurts you. Or maybe you thought you did the right thing, but you wonder sometimes. But this is a story of a lady in Exodus that gave up her child. And this one is interesting that God actually gives the child right back. And this is in Exodus chapter 2, and this is when the Egyptians are telling uh, all of the uh, people that go to the birthing, would they be doulas, is that what they're called? The ones that watch the babies, and they're watching be born, and they say, if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, just kill them right there. Because there's too many Israelites being born, and they don't want the men to get too strong and to fight their way out of, free, out of slavery and fight their way to freedom. So like, if it's a boy, kill it. Well, she has a boy in secret, and raises him for three months, and finally at three months is like, I've got to do something because they're going to find him. Because at three months is when they start crying and freaking out and spazzing and wanting to play toys, and they can't crawl yet, and they start getting wild, and they get noisy. He's like, I don't have a baby swing. I don't have a way to calm this one down. Um, we used NyQuil um, on babies. Um, I was not a pastor then, and I don't condone it now, but it's what we did. Um, it worked, but don't do it. Uh, but this baby's getting fussy, apparently, and she's got to do something. So she puts Moses in a basket and floats him down the river towards town, towards the city, towards everything else, hoping that somebody would find that basket and take care of this kid, right? She basically had to give her kid up for the kid's survival, had to give the kid up for a better life. And there's moms that have had to do that even today. I've got to give this kid up because my situation is not one where this kid's going to have a real opportunity at life. And they've done that. They've made that hard decision. And as a baby floats down, um, they find it. And her sister actually says uh, to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Because they find it in the river. And one of Pharaoh's daughters is like, let's keep this baby. And... Uh, have it in our house because nobody's ever, somebody's abandoned it and she's looking at it and she's like, what should we do? Should we get somebody to nurse it? Because they're going to need to eat. Right? They didn't have baby formula. We need to go find somebody to feed the baby. So she's like, yeah, go find a, a nursing mom. So she goes and finds this nursing mom and guess who she finds? She finds Moses' mom. She literally floated this baby down the river Imagine the heartbreak. Imagine the tears. Imagine the trauma. Imagine the things and you're praying, God, help him to be okay. God, please. And then all of a sudden, there's just a knock on the door, and somebody comes in, and you probably think you're in trouble. I'm in trouble. They found out. They found out I tried to hide a boy. They found out I tried to get around the law. They found out I tried to save my own son. They found out they're going to come and get me, and there's a knock on the door, and they open the door and say, hey, we have a baby. Can any of you nurse him? And there she's, me. And the next thing you know, she's taking care of her own son again. Isn't that beautiful? That God gave her that opportunity only until he was of age that he didn't need that anymore and then she had to step away again, which is heartbreaking. But God gave her a window of encouragement, a window to see in the world that he was going to be in, that he was going to be okay, and that he was going to be raised right. And he, she, he gave her that opportunity to have connection. Why? Because God loves moms. That's why. Moses didn't need her to survive. He was going to be taken care of. It could have been a different nursing mom. It could have been a different person to take care. God could have used anyone, but God has a heart for moms. 
And so God says, you know, I'm going to give you this opportunity. Why? There's no other reason for him to have used his own mom other than that he loves the mom. And so I'm going to give you this opportunity. Hagar is another one. She fled abuse. Some moms have fled abuse. In this church, I know that there's some moms that have had to flee from abusive relationships, abusive situations where they had to just get out. And Hagar had to do that. She had to run from an abusive situation where she was being ridiculed and put down for having a baby and she was uh, in a tough spot and she runs and she gets to a place where she looks like her baby's gonna die and she's gonna die because she can't provide. She's a single mom on the run from abuse. And so she did that. But God gave her back more than just safety. He gave her back a destiny and this is in Genesis 21. It says, when the water in the skin was gone, that was their canteen, it says she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she got so desperate, shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. She got so desperate in wondering, how do I even provide for my kid? That she literally had to take him and she just put him, she's like, he's going to die. That she put him under a bush and leaves and walks away. And it's like, I can't watch it. Okay, some moms have been through circumstances, whether it's actual real death or it's a difficult relationship or an injury or a health issue or a mental health issue or something going on with their child where they're like, I'm a mom and I love them, but this is so hard that I can't even watch this. And it breaks your heart and it's difficult. And so it's, I can't even be a part of this. I don't know what to do. I can't solve it. You ever been in a situation that you can't solve, that you can't fix, and it's for your own kid? As a dad, that can be hard. As a mom, I mean, you had them before I even ever met them. As a dad. <laughs> to be able to have to go through that and that struggle. And there she is and she looks and she's like, I can't watch this. And so as she sat there, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? So first of all, God saw her. He saw her tears. He saw her crying. He saw her suffering. He saw her helplessness. And instead of ignoring it, he spoke to her. He reached out to her to show that he cared, that he knew her, that he loved her, that he was with her. And he has an angel speak to her, and it says, lift the boy up and take him by hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Some of you may be hurting for a child right now that you don't have much hope for. Maybe that it hasn't called you, hasn't talked to you, doesn't want to be involved with you. Maybe they live at home, but they, they don't want to come out of their room or they don't want to engage you. And you're looking, you're like, I don't even know what to do. There's no hope. It's like they're dying. And yet God's promise to her wasn't just that they would be alive and saved. And oh, if I can just get them to survive, get them to adulthood or anything like that, but I'm going to give them a destiny. A hope, fled abuse, ends up in a struggle, is in all of this suffering, has no idea what to do. And even in the midst of fleeing man's abuse, God steps in and says, you know what? I see you. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to give your child a destiny. It's that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same for your life. He's the same for your kid. He's the same for you as a mom. Maybe somebody else ran you out. Maybe somebody else rejected you. Maybe your child's having a hard time. But God hasn't rejected you. God's not running you out. God receives you. He loves you, and he loves your child. And God has a hope for you. So God opened the eyes, her eyes, and she saw a well of water. God provided. And she went, and she filled the skin with water and gave it to the boy to drink. There's another story in 1 Kings chapter 17 of a starving widow. 
single mom. Some of you have been through all kinds of difficulties, and, and you may be a single mom. You may not be a single mom. You may be a single mom only because you're married, but your husband has done what people are doing at their jobs nowadays, quiet quitting. People quiet quit. Have you heard of that? That's the new thing. Nobody wants to quit, but they stay at the job. But you know, I only get paid $15 an hour, and you want me to do $20 an hour worth of work, so I'm only going to do $15 an hour worth of work, period. So I'm going to work a certain amount, and I'm going to shut down the rest. And I'm not going to do my best. I'm not going to work hard. I'm not going to give you my full effort. Well, you know, there's moms that are single moms in reality. There's moms that are widows because they've lost a spouse. And there's also moms that are really parenting alone, even though they're married. Because dad has quiet quit. And he's just at work. He's just doing his thing. And he's not involved. He doesn't want to deal with any of it. And that happens. And so here's a lady that's going through all of this. And she had lost hope. But God restored it. And the story here in Kings is that they're out of food. And the prophet of the Lord comes. And the prophet of the Lord says, you know, do you have something? Can you make me something to eat and give me a drink? And she says, like every woman of faith that's ever lived, she says, I have enough for one more meal. I have enough to make bread for just one more meal for me and my son. We're going to eat it. And then we are going to die. Any moms ever been at that level of faith? It's like, here I am, I got this much left. Kids, let's pray, let's eat, and let's go lay down and die together. Or your kid's like, I don't think I can make it. I don't even want to live. And you're like, me too. Let's just quit together and go lay down somewhere. Right? Your teenager's whining and complaining and they don't want to help. And you're like, me too. Forget it. I don't want food either. Let's not eat. I don't want to cook either. I don't want to do laundry. I don't want to do dishes. I don't want to eat. Let's just all stop. See how long that lasts. Problem is, they'll just go over to your friend's house, and then you're stuck starving and alone in a dirty house. That's how it works. But there, that's her faith level. She's like, I got nothing. We're going to die. And so the prophet, like any good religious leader, says, okay, can you feed me first? Praise the Lord. And you know, that's a sad story, but I'm hungry. Why don't you just give to me? And you know, that story is often used to encourage people about how, do you know what? Give no matter what. Give if you're broke. Give if you're poor. Give if you have nothing. If it's your last dollar and your kid's going to starve tomorrow at school, send them with no lunch, but give to the church. Do you know what? That's not really what the passage is supposed to be teaching you. Is there a principle there? Sure. But the real bigger picture there is that there is a starving widow and her child and the end of the story that God causes her cupboards to overflow with his goodness. And so the real story is that God looks out for and he takes care of, of those that are suffering, those that are hurting. That's really the moral of the story. So if you're in that spot, if you've ever been in that spot, God sees you. God cares. God's looking out. There's another mom, Sarah, Genesis 18, 10 to 15. She was barren. She couldn't have a kid. She was a mom in heart, but not a mom in reality. Desperately wanting a mom. We have moms in here today that, that are desperately a mom at heart, but have been unable to have a kid yet. Others that have had miscarriages, one, two, sometimes more, and struggled with the suffering of that. Ones that have tried to adopt as a last resort and have struggled to be able to find a kid to be able to adopt. It just seems like all the doors are closed. And so in this story of Sarah, she's waiting for a baby, and it's not happening. She's getting older and older and older. And God finally comes, and he actually promises a baby to Abraham and her. And when it happens, she actually laughs about it. 
because she had given up hope finally. She laughs. And they have a baby. And again, that story is often used to show, oh, look at how Abraham had faith, but Sarah didn't have faith. She was too weak. But that's not the real story. The real story, I mean, who wouldn't when you're much older than childbearing age? She was close to 90 in the day. And your promise to have a baby wouldn't laugh a little bit. Like, are you kidding? Give me a break. Now, wait, I'm past this. I mean, we adopted at 41. 41. 41. 41. We adopted at 41. See, at 45, you start to forget stuff. But we adopted at 41, and we're like, okay, are you kidding me? She was twice our age. The real story is her faith was wobbly, but do you know what? When her faith wobbled, what did God do? He gave her a kid anyway. God's faithfulness. The Bible says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. God had already decided to bless her. God already wanted to see her be a mom. God already loved her and cared for her. And when she laughed, you know, he said, you know what? Okay, I'm, you're not going to talk for a while because you're... And God poured this out on her. And that's in Genesis. You're going to finally be a mom. It's an incredible thing. And God blessed her. And God poured this out on her. And that's in Genesis 18. There's Hannah in 1 Samuel. She was mocked and totally made a fool of. I put on here, she was mocked and rocked because she had one of the hardest lives of a mom in the whole Bible. She cried out for a child and she couldn't have one. She cried and she would go to the temple and she would cry and pray and God, please, please. And there was another lady that would come and mock her. First Samuel 1, anybody ever been mocked for wanting to have a kid and not being able to yet? Or you can't be a good enough mom? Or, you know, yeah, of course your kid, you lost custody. Or, of course, you know, your kids don't want to be with you. And, and somebody mocking you in your motherhood or in your attempts at motherhood and trying to just poke fun at weaknesses or hurts. This is what's happening to her. And he says, but because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, women have rivals. Anybody have a rival? It's supposed to be like a friend, like a neighbor or somebody that's like your rival. It feels like they always want to see you fail. They always want to see you blow it. They always want to like, some, anybody? Men do sometimes. we got rivals. Most of ours isn't about having kids. We just want to see who has a, a tighter shirt or who can run faster or something. But women are like, I want to have kids. I want to do something productive. We're like, this is productive. Look at me. I got the best, I got the best hair. I got the best beard. I smell the best after I work out. We have all kinds of things we compare. But these, this woman had a rival. Somebody that said it would come and kept provoking her for what reason? In order to irritate her. Literally somebody in her life that just wanted to just irritate her. Oh, you're still here praying? Oh, you haven't had a kid yet? <laughs> I have four. And one on the way. Oh, you're still here? I have six now. I'm working on seven. And just constantly mocking. Well, even if you did have a kid, they probably wouldn't be as tall and as fast as mine. Did you see my graduation pictures of my child? They're amazing. They look fantastic. And just poking and poking and poking. And so this went on, it says, year after year. Year after year, kept on poking and doing that. And so finally he arrived. She celebrates. She's excited. And guess what happens not too long after that, as the boy's growing up? He dies. And then she has to pray and have this baby raised from the dead. There's this whole thing going on where she's dealing with it. She has to deal with the loss. Mom, 23, there's some moms that they don't even get a name. They're just moms. Anybody ever feel nameless, unseen? 
It happens. It says the king, these are two moms fighting, and you know what? They both were prostitutes. Any moms have a bad background? You have a background that you weren't proud of or weren't excited about? You know what? The Bible includes them, and it doesn't include them with shame, but they were both prostitutes, and they were arguing over a baby because one had a baby and the other one didn't. And so the one took the baby in the middle of the night when they both fell asleep and grabbed it from the other mom and stole it. And they didn't have DNA back then. They didn't have hospital wristbands. They didn't have all that stuff. Stole the baby and slept with it and then gave her her baby that had died and set it with her. So when they woke up, she woke up with a dead baby that didn't look like her baby. And the other lady woke up with a live baby that looked just like the other mom. And she's like, what's going on? You stole my baby. And she's like, you know, I didn't take your baby. This is mine. No, it's not. It's mine. So they end up before the king to argue out this dispute. There's moms in here that have ended up in custody situations to argue out disputes. I've been a good mom. No, you've been an abuser. I've been a good mom. You're the abuser. No, you're the abuser. No, you're the one. And fighting and arguing. And CPS gets involved. And the kid gets taken. And then there's arguments and fights and divorce. And all these things going on. It's like, can somebody just give sanity? This is, I'm the good person here. I'm trying to take care of my kids. That person's crazy. And they're going through this. And so as the story goes on, Solomon has a brilliant idea. He was the king at the time. This one says, my son's alive and your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. So the king says, bring me a sword. That's so brilliant. <laughs> bring me a sword. I have a huge, gigantic sword knife in my closet or in my office, but I don't use it to solve disputes. <laughs> it's just in there because I found it. Hey, we have a marriage issue. Bring me my sword. <laughs> bring it. Bring it out. We're going to take care of things. I struggle with tithing. Bring me my sword. <laughs> Every issue, just bring out the sword. But this is what he said, bring out a sword. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not bringing out a sword. So they bring it to him, though, and he says, so they brought him a sword. Why? Because he's the king. He gets his way. So they gave an order, cut the living child in two and give half to each mom. That's fair. If it was super fair, which this translation is only kind of fair, uh, in the message, it's probably more fair. I would imagine that they add, cut in half and let one mom choose which half. This one can cut and that one can choose. Anybody's parents divide things that way? Fight over the candy bar? My mom used to say, okay, you cut it in half and you choose first. Why? Because then the cutter is going to try to be really fair because they don't get to choose. But he says, cut them in half give, give, and split this baby up. So the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son, and she said to the king, please, my lord, just give her the baby. And he goes, ah, that's the mom. That's the mom. Why? Because moms love their kids, often at great sacrifice to their own well-being, their own emotions, their own time, their own energy, their own finances. And so she said, this breaks my heart, but just give her my child. And I will watch her raise my child in the same home that we live in together. I'll give up custody. I'll give it away. But Lord, just protect them. Lord, cover their life. So she ends up with the baby. Rahab was a prostitute as well. If you're not a prostitute, I don't relate to any of this. You know what? If this is God's heart for people in down-and-out situations, 
and you say, but I haven't lived that life, imagine that God's heart for you and you've tried to make the right choices, do the right things, and you're working hard, and God's like, man, I'm with you. I love you. God starts in a hardship, but it's not to highlight that he only loves hardship. He starts there, and it shows I can love to the uttermost, which means I can love everywhere and care for you. And so there's Rahab, and and I'm not going to read the whole story because of time, but it's there in Joshua chapter 2. She's a prostitute, and she cries out to to them. She says, I know you guys are coming to take over our city. I know that you guys will win because your God is real. Just please spare me. Spare me and my kids. Spare my family. So she really puts her trust and her faith in God. She gives her life to the Lord. When they come and take over the city, they spare her and her kids. In Matthew, check this out. This is why I brought her up. In Matthew chapter 1, it goes through the genealogy of Jesus. And it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came to save the world. The God of the universe, in the flesh, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. And his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez. This is a long list of names. Why are you reading these, pastor? Because they're in the word. And there's something important here. And Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. In the midst of this whole thing of Jesus' genealogy, boom, we reach all the way back to Joshua to name the prostitute mom who just wanted to save her kids and turned her life to Christ, turned her life to God. And Jesus wasn't ashamed. She was mentioned in his genealogy. I imagine as the Holy Spirit inspired the writer, he's writing and he knows history and it's like, write down Rahab. And he's like, oh, oh. we don't have to. Write her down. She's one of the moms that put her life on the line for her kids and loved her kids and I want her in my, I want her in my list. Because he loves him, cares for him. And the last one here, Mary, chapter, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary learns about, about being pregnant, and the angel tells her that glory to God in the highest, all these things are going to happen. It says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Moms love to think about the blessing in the future of their kids. If you're a kid here today and you're like, man, I don't know, you know what? A lot of times dads are just out working. They're just thinking about what they're doing. Man, moms are thinking about you all the time. They want to see their kids succeed. They want to see their kids do well. Half the conversations I have with my wife are about our kids. About, oh, what about this? What about that? What about, this is what she thinks on. She wants to see our kids blessed. She wants to see them make it. She wants to see them helped. Hey, and that's how moms are in their heart. God's made them that way. Jesus, when he wanted to show his love and his compassion over Israel, he actually identified with a mom hearts, not even his own heart. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, you stone those who sent you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen under her wings? In order to try to find him, mean, he is a master of language. He's the creator of the universe. The Bible says in John that he is the word, literally is the word. And when he needs to find the right word to express his deep love for people, he says, I got to use a mom. I wish I was a hen so I could gather you and pull you in and care for you. God sees your love. He sees your care. He sees your heart. John 19, 27. Then he said to the disciple, behold, your mother. This is Jesus. Guess where he's at? 
He's on the cross. He's literally hanging on the cross. The Bible says you couldn't even recognize him. They pulled out his beard, put on a crown of thorns, destroyed his body, beat him nearly to death. Someone else had to carry his cross. He's dragging. Anybody ever had a, a cut over your eye? You can't see. Had sweat in your eyes? You can't see. He's dripping in blood. Do you know how hard it'd be when you can't breathe and your eyes are filled with blood and you're sweating and it's hot and you're on a hill and there's crowds around to be trying to breathe and trying to look around? And what's he doing? He's looking for his mom. And he looks hard enough to find her through it all. And he can't even wipe his eyes. They're nailed. His hands are nailed. And he finds his mom and he says to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Right before he dies, he wants to sure, make sure there's one thing that's happened. My mom is being taken care of. That's Jesus. And that's not just his heart for his mom, but that's his heart for moms. That's his heart for you. So wherever you're at as a mom, just know that in all the things that you go through, that God is looking for you, like he looked for Hagar, like he looked for Mary, like he's looked all through the Bible at moms, and that you matter. What you do matters. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. And he will do whatever is necessary to take care of you, and you can rest in the peace and the knowledge of his care for you and for your kids. And we're going to take a minute right now. If you are a mom here, we're actually going to pray over you, and we brought all the kids in. And we're going to pray with the kids for you. And so I just want you to, if you're a mom, just stand up. And we are going to gather around the moms. And we're just going to pray blessing over the moms together as a church and with the kids. So kiddos, if you go find your moms and go get some hands on them, put your hand on their shoulder, on their back, uh, in their purse, and grab a couple bucks. Moms love to give money away to their kids. Uh, Kids upstairs can come down. If your mom's down here, Jackson, you can come down. Uh, other kids, if your mom's upstairs, you can go find your mom. Go find your moms. We're going to pray over them. And then once we pray, we'll be dismissed. And we do have a gift for you on your way, on your way out. Um, Jenna, you want to move those to the back door so, so they know? Because as soon as we pray, we're going to dismiss that. Uh, so once, once we got everybody situated with their moms, we're just going to pray for them. All right, we're, I see a couple of kids still making it to their moms. We're going to pray for them. And kids, I want you to think about this when you're praying for your mom. Whatever you think she's done to you, I can just tell you this, she's done much more for you. And she's given up much more for you than you ever will know or imagine. Than you ever will know or imagine. And when you get to heaven, one of the great blessings probably of heaven is that God will show you how much your mom really loved you how much she really gave up for you, how much she really, really invested into your life. We're gonna pray for that. And we do have guys, if, you're, if you are somebody, if people are here that are single or they don't have a mom, they're not a mom or they, they are uh, a kid that doesn't have a mom here, uh, we have some moms right here in this row that don't have their kids right here with them. Uh, so come pray for them. If you're around and you see guys, throw a hand on them. Somebody get up there and pray. Uh, Father, we pray right now, Lord, for all these moms. God, we pray your blessing. God, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. 
So, Father, I pray, Lord, for every one of these that are standing, God, that you will touch their life, Lord. And for moms, Lord, that are uh, in any kind of a, a place of struggle or dryness or emptiness, Lord, I pray that you'd fill their bucket. God, cause it to overflow with your goodness. Lord, your word promises that if we give, it'll come back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God, pour back into these moms, pressed down, shaken together, running over everything that they've given out. Lord, their love, their care, their sacrifice, their encouragement. Father, pour it back in, Lord, in a powerful way. Father, if there's any moms here, Lord, that have given up their kids or that their kids have have ran off or are gone or anything like that, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you will bring those kids, Father, back to you. Lord, bring them back to their moms. Lord, restore those relationships. Father, we stand in agreement with them, Lord, and ask God for their return. Not just their survival, but God, for a destiny and a future. Lord, I thank you for all these things, God. Thank you for moms. Thank you for your love for them. Thank you for blessing us with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com slash give.